Welcome to, to this Q2 earnings review. My name is Eric Mokar. I'm based in Sweden. And then we have speakers here today. I'll ask Scott to introduce himself and what he's been up to with the transcript for these many years. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this Twitter Spaces. I founded the transcript before it was Avondale earnings call notes probably about seven, eight years ago now. And Eric Wokaya and I have been working on this together for about 75% of that time. And we rebranded as the transcript, have been distributing it. And I think a lot of you probably read it. So thank you, everyone who read it and listen to our podcast and everything. Um, excited to be doing this today. Hi, I'm Sam Rowe. I'm the writer of the Axios Markets Newsletter. And like Eric and Scott, I listen to a lot of these earnings calls, so there'll be lots of fun stuff to talk about. All right. Uh, maybe, Scott, you can give us a bit of a rundown of just the quick things that you picked up in the Q2 earnings calls. Yeah, I think as probably a lot of listeners or readers know, we break down each week on the transcript in sections. So we have a macro section that leads it off, and then we've got a bunch of industry sections below. So I think that may be the best way to go through this, too, is start off with the macro and the big trends of the second quarter, which we saw throughout earnings calls. I, Eric and I on our podcast have been talking about this as earning as uh, economic euphoria that we've had for the last quarter, ever since people have been getting vaccinated and moving back out into the world and enjoying travel and restaurants and friends and family. There's been a huge amount of economic activity. And a lot of people have pent up savings from stimulus and things like that. And that pent up demand getting unleashed on the supply chain, causing shortages in the supply chain and inflationary pressures. That's been the story of the last quarter. Yeah, I think something that's been really interesting is, you know, like you said, you know, lots and lots of mentions about inflation, cost inflation, rising wage costs. And then, you know, at the other side of this, you have all these companies that are reporting record profit margins. You know, I, I think some, you know, some of the analysis will tell you, well, they're actually, you know, there is a little bit of a lag between, you know, these companies complaining about, you know, rising costs. And so maybe, you know, the profit margin pressure starts to show up, you know, in Q3 or Q4. But clearly, based off of, you know, the earnings surprises, you know, relative to analyst expectations, I, I think to some degree, people were surprised by how little these rising costs actually ended up affecting these companies. And I think something a little bit, you know, kind of interesting more recently, and maybe this is going to be coming up in your next newsletter, you know, make sure you guys subscribe to the transcript. That's really good. But something that we've been looking at paying really close attention to, especially in the last week, is anything companies have been saying about how the spike in COVID infections is affecting business in any kind of way. And I don't know what you guys have been reading, but based off of the handful of earnings transcripts and earnings calls that I've been paying attention to this week, for the most part, businesses seem to not be that affected. Like a lot of what you're hearing about, you know, late July and even like the last couple of weeks is, you know, consumers are still out there shopping. They're still going to retail stores. I don't know if you guys saw this the other day. The Bumble CEO came on and said activity is actually increasing on their dating app. There were a, a couple of other earnings calls this week where I forgot. Okay, yeah, the, there were two companies, Aramark and Cisco. 
you guys will recognize these as, you know, the brands that are on the side of trucks and stuff that supply food to, you know, college cafeterias and, you know, ballpark stadiums and stuff. You know, they were talking about the last couple of weeks. There's no slowdown in activity when it comes to entertainment venues and sporting arenas or universities. Everyone seems to still be on track to, to you know, either reopen or stay open. For the most part, you know, everyone seems to be operating, you know, business as usual, even with the spike in the Delta variant infections. I'll hop in real quick. My name is Alex Morse. I run the TSOH Investment Research Service on Substack. You can find it on my Twitter page. I'd say, yeah, my takeaways so far have really been along those same lines. You know, for me, this quarter really started out with some of the banks and something that, that stood out from Bank of America and Wells. They effectively said that their credit card and debit card spend among their customers, meaning tens of millions of people, was up more than 20% comp to the first half of 19 against obviously, you know, a normal period. So that was a number that, that stood out to me really early. And we've seen a bunch of retail results that kind of paint the same picture, you know, DG, Walmart, companies that sell a lot of basics, a lot of food, things that people have to buy all the time, two-year stacks in the mid-teens, which is, I mean, just a crazy number. Five below Home Depot, kind of less essential stuff, but even better comps on two-year stacks. So that's that's been really interesting. And I, I would say Comcast theme park commentary and, and Disney theme park commentary was kind of along the same lines. The other key thing that's standing out to me is this idea of digitization and, and the world kind of changing and it, it's accelerated as a result of COVID. And I think Sachin Nadella at Microsoft, his, his comment that digital adoption curves aren't slowing down. In fact, they're accelerating. I mean, I think you see it in the results when you look at a company like Microsoft, a company like Amazon, Facebook, Google, et cetera. So it's a really interesting. Something I can add to Sam, I think the same thing that we saw in some of the companies, especially in the transcripts uh, that you had last week, we also noticed that uh, spending, consumer spendings is actually still holding up, especially let's say at Lyft, they had, I think they gave us some statistics for July and June and with post quarter, uh, post Q2, seems like especially things to do with uh, travel, they are kind of holding up stably. But then moving on, I think the worry is mostly about as uh, schools reopen this month and next month. So I think also and and as unemployment benefits come to an end, and so I think they're watching very closely how uh, things develop and especially the data comes in going into August and September. So I think that's a key thing to watch out for as we go into the next quarter. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with everything that everybody's saying. One of the key things that Mokaya just hit on that we've been thinking about is how things change after Labor Day. And we've had this interesting confluence of events here in the U.S. economy, especially where everybody basically got vaccinated in the spring. And so you had this just surge in ability to go places, not only the weather getting nicer and people, you know, partaking in more social activities during the summer than they do in other parts of the year anyways. It'll be interesting to see as we get past Labor Day, kids potentially going back to school, you know, if people basically take an opportunity to take a breather from the type of activity they've been they've been partaking in. But at the same time, there's a lot of money in the system. You know, asset prices are up, people wages are up and people are feeling more flush until you have feelings of inflation to the extent that they actually happen impact people's feeling of their purchasing power, I would expect, you know, 
consumption to continue. Yeah, on the aspect of inflation also, something else that we saw, and I think we've been talking about this a lot with Scott, is that several companies are saying that inflation is actually higher. I think they're experiencing more price increases and a lot of them actually planning to increase prices even up to January next year. There is a bit of disconnect maybe between what the companies say they're seeing and also when you read about the Fed and then I'm sure Samuro writes a lot about this. So maybe you can comment a, a bit more about it. Yeah, so we know we know about cost increases, cost inflation, and we know a lot of them are saying that they're raising prices. But the other thing that you know, a lot of these executives are really proud to, to talk about on their calls is that their customers are taking the prices. They, there's a high uptake of these prices. It'll be interesting to see exactly how this shows up in, in, in things like, you know, the, in, the aggregate inflation data. It, it's going to be interesting to see how this stuff translates into, into the aggregate data. I wasn't really keeping that much track of like what the different industries were who were talking about increasing prices. But, you know, the other day you see this big jump in the producer price index while, you know, that, that's like very disconnected from what the consumer price index looks like. I don't know. Do you guys think this is a function of like manufacturers and, and companies who are actually absorbing costs instead of passing it on to like the consumer or, you know, what, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, Sam, actually, as you were talking, the quote that stood out in my mind that I read last quarter was from McDonald's where they were talking about taking price on their food items by 6%, but they were only seeing cost inflation themselves of like 2%. So their margins were expanding to your point. And I thought when I read that, I thought of it as McDonald's having so much pricing power against their suppliers that they were able to hold back and push inflation back onto their suppliers. And so I think it's natural. We're reading all of these large multi-billion dollar companies talking about inflation. They're going to have the most pricing power over like small and medium business suppliers or fragmented consumers. I think in the story of earnings calls, you're just not hearing about the people who are really eating the inflation at the end of the day. And I think we did have a really good quote on that in one of the transcripts too, about who ends up eating the inflation. I can't remember which company that was from. Maybe Eric, you remember. I don't remember specifically, but what I've seen in earnings calls are mostly maybe CEOs saying that a consumer is okay to take some of the price increases because they understand the situation that is arising in terms of the supply chains being very tight and that they have to kind of pass on these costs to them. So that surprised me because, I mean, you don't get to hear directly from the consumer, but at least the CEO is saying the consumer is taking it well and they're okay with the price increases so far and their understanding of uh, the lags in the supply chains and they're okay with receiving products a bit later than they expected. Uh, so I think that was surprising to me. I don't know what uh, uh, Alex has to say about that. No, I think it, again, it, it's it's almost the willingness and propensity to spend apparently is there. I mean, I'm thinking of Disney's call yesterday. Last quarter, they said that per cap spending at the parks, domestic parks was up double digits from, again, the 2019 comp. This quarter, their wording suggested the per caps were even stronger. So, you know, people who show up to the parks are just spending significantly more money than the people who who were there in that same position two years ago. And, you know, just the lines with every everything I've seen in terms of retail data, it just seems that 
for whatever reason, people have a lot of money to spend right now. I don't totally understand all that stuff. I don't track it all very closely, but it's definitely happening. That's actually something we've been following for a little bit. So you have this concept of excess savings, right? So a, a couple of different you know, economists will track this kind of differently, but it's this idea, it's, it's basically based off of this principle of you know, the degree to which income was outpacing spending and when you know the more income outpaces spending or the more spending pulls back more so than income that gap represents you know the personal saving rate or the household saving rate however whatever you want to call it and so that amount of saving was something that was actually increasing very significantly during the the, the pandemic and you know it, it it makes sense if you think about it right if you're on lockdown, you have limited options to spend. You're certainly not going to Disney World in, you know, April 2020 or, or May 2020, right? So, you know, a lot of this money and, you know, let's also not forget about, you know, stimulus checks and unemployment benefits and, and all these other forms of, of income through, you know, the transfer payments and stuff. But the bottom line being that, you know, since March of 2020, Consumers have accumulated something in the order of $2.4 trillion in excess savings. So what does this mean? Well, you know, it, it, it means that, you know, consumers just have a lot more flexibility to spend. And, and, you know, just from a straight psychological standpoint, if you had to cancel your Disney World plans last year and you didn't take a vacation, you know, when you do go this year, you'll probably spend a shitload more. You know, you're going to instead of bringing sandwiches and eating in the parking lot, you might actually go inside and order from, you know, the Disney restaurant and eat like, you know, the twenty five dollar cheeseburger or whatever it is. But, yeah, consumers, I mean, listen, this is not universal. Like there are a lot of people who are out of work and suffering and struggling. But at the aggregate level, it looks like it seems to be the case that, you know, people just have a little bit more money than they did before the pandemic. I, I just think it's the the sustainability of. A lot of these numbers, that's just really surprising to me. And just to pick a specific example, so Dollar General reported 16% comps last year for the fiscal year. They're, they just reported Q1 a couple months ago. But but their guide for fiscal 21, which still has you know eight, nine months to go, their guide is basically a low single-digit decline. I mean, so if you on a stack basis, it just seems like this is – pretty sustainable and again think about the type of businesses think about the type of customers that they that they see every day it's, it's just really surprising and but apparently it's gonna happen the numbers certainly do seem unbelievable in magnitude for a lot of not just the retail comps but like house prices running at a 25 percent increase year over year are people's incomes going up by this much like who's are people really making that much more money or it's the segment of society that owns asset prices clearly that there's a lot more purchasing power um i, I think it's a little bit of both right i mean because here's here's the other thing that and i'm sure we're going to speak a lot more about this but don't forget that there are you know shortages for everything out there shortages for houses shortages for cars shortages for literally everything so you know, what we're looking at is probably, you know, distortions based on the fact that demand is just far outpacing supply. So there's probably there's plenty um, there's plenty of people who are certainly getting priced out of the market. And, you know, they they complain about it on stuff like the University of Michigan Sentiment Survey, where 
where just where this historic numbers of people who are outraged by how expensive stuff like cars and houses have gotten. But on the other side of the data, we're also seeing prices go up because you know there's still a, a healthy amount of demand. So I, I think some of this, a lot of this prices is, is is a reflection of the imbalance in, in supply and demand. But that said, yeah, it, it, it does seem to be the case that people, you know, collectively have a little bit more money. Sam brought up a good segue into the supply chains and things that we're seeing there. And, you know, that's something we've documented throughout the quarter, too. I think for at least the last month and a half, Eric and I have been looking for signs that the supply chain is healing. And I still don't have good consensus from any of the earnings calls that I'm reading that there's green shoots. It seems like the consensus is more that the supply chain is going to be tight through the end of the year into next year, not only in semiconductors, but all the other things that we're we're watching right now. I'm curious if you guys are seeing the same thing. I agree on that. It's especially expected auto companies to have their guided that key too would be the tough. But I think uh, what they have seen in most of the earnings calls is that Q3 may actually be tougher in terms of they're not getting what they want to produce the, the products that they need to. So I think we haven't seen any companies uh, and maybe one or two here and there that saying uh, maybe it's easing up, but generally the consensus is that going into Q3 and Q4, the demand will still greatly outstrip the supply. Yeah, two reports that are worth following, the ISM surveys and then the market PMI surveys, where they actually have, you know, that sub-index of supplier delivery times. And, you know, that's sort of a, a pretty good, you know, proxy for, you know, like a, a one measure proxy for, for supply chain issues. And the amount of time it's taking to get raw materials and, you know, goods to, to stores and manufacturers and all this stuff uh, is, well, at, at least through July has continued to increase. One, one of the calls this week, actually, that I thought was really interesting was Callaway Golf. I, I actually don't remember if that's actually the name of the company, but whoever does Callaway Golf, the you know, they had an interesting call because they were being asked specifically about, you know, if they are being affected at all, you know, regarding the Delta variant and, and the spike in COVID cases in recent weeks. And, you know, I think they that I think that call probably best captures the state of the world right now because the CEO comes out and says they are seeing no change in demand for their golf clubs and golf balls and, and all that stuff that they sell. And they also said that foot traffic to, you know, the retail outlets that sell their equipment has seen no, no noticeable negative change. If anything, you know, the demand is, is increasing despite the spike in COVID cases. But one thing that he did mention, and I think this was in the press release too, was that they are, they, they see an, an increase in, in issues in their supply chains because of the Delta variant, because they do supply out of places like Southeast Asia, where, you know, the spike in cases is is affecting things like manufacturing. So I forgot exactly what they said. I, I think it was like 20 million in lost revenue opportunity in the second half of the year because of supply chain issues that are that are occurring overseas. So, so yeah, I, I think, you know, that's sort of where you make that connection between, you know, how the Delta variant is going to, I mean, I, I'm assuming most of this audience is like a U.S. based U.S. company, you know, type of type of audience. But in, in areas where 
you know, consumer demand and, and stuff like that is holding up, you know, where you're going to see that disruption is is when people go to shop and, and the shelves are empty because of supply chain issues in regions where the Delta variant is actually disrupting the manufacturing process. I should say I'm based in Sweden. And then what you see is a bit of a kind of a disconnect between U.S. and international companies you find that uh, vaccination rates in europe have been lagging a lot the, the us for a while so i think by the time the us was opening up in the summer europe was a bit behind there is a difference between international trajectory of the virus and the trajectory of the opening everywhere as compared to the us so i think the us is way ahead in terms of that so the expectedness now is maybe more cases get get to come up in uh, certain regions of Asia, then that actually would cause a little bit of worry to U.S. companies that have exposure to those parts of the world. Generally in Sweden, it didn't close down. So I think the economy just has been open as it was before the pandemic kind of. So there's nothing much that you could note here. Yeah, I haven't heard too many specific, specific examples, but, um, you know, along that line of thinking, I you know, Spotify is a company I follow closely. They they, they talked about some impact in the quarter from countries like India and resurgence in COVID cases. And I think Disney as well, you know, domestic parks have been something of a bright spot, at least as they start to return to something that resembles normalcy. But uh, internationally, my sense, at least from really what they haven't said more than anything else, is that is that the line to recovery there is much less clear and, and much less advanced than, than what it looks like in the States. Alex, you mentioned the trend towards digitization when you were first starting off. Curious to get more of your thoughts on that. And the metaverse. <laughs> well, I'm about as far from an expert as you can be on the metaverse. As a Facebook shareholder, I just find it really interesting how aggressively the company is investing behind this vision of, of where they think the world's going. And by aggressively, I mean, it sounds like they're probably spending a couple billion dollars a year run rate at this point in time on something, you know, admittedly, that's obviously at least a few years away from from realizing that vision. Another good example is probably Disney, where they have a movie coming out here in, in early September, where they kind of have to set dates to release things, obviously, quite a bit before they actually do release them. And I think some of the commentary on the call suggested that they're kind of skeptical that it's going to do well. And I think that reticence to go back into the theaters, even as vaccination rates and things like that are picking up, I think it probably reflects some of that development. It's this, it's this idea that the world is changing and in some way consumer preferences are also changing as well. And some of that is not pandemic related. It's, it's, it's probably going to be a permanent change. So I think you see that in a lot of other areas, obviously, as well, like food delivery and and things along those lines. So I think it's interesting to see how we might live in a quite a different world on the other side, even if the, the vaccines and such address the issue. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of you may know I'm an economic historian on top of this earnings call stuff that I've done. So the, this period, there's a lot of resonance to me in the period that was the post-World War II period, where there was a reorientation of the economy or there was all of this industrial capacity that was created in world war ii from investment by the u.s government obviously in producing tanks and planes and things like that to go fight the war but then you came out on the other side and society had completely changed in terms of its industrial capacity and all of that went into consumer goods and the similar analogy here is that in this pandemic all of us had to spend even more time on the internet 
the digitization trend was accelerated. And on the other side, we're probably going to keep working from home, keep ordering our food online, to your point, Alex. And the world has kind of fundamentally changed here, potentially. I mean, you know, it's interesting that the thing about like movie theaters, I was talking to an economist a couple weeks ago about jobs and how the jobs landscape is changing. She's not convinced that, you know, we're going to get back to pre-pandemic employment levels anytime soon because of exactly what you're saying, that we've undergone a major economic transformation I mean, you know, you, you just look at some, you, you take a step back and look at some of the data and some of the economic numbers and, you know, you know, I mean, consider the fact that we're, we're back to a pre-pandemic run rate for GDP, yet employment is still 6 million workers below where they were, you know, in February of 2020. So where we, we the economy is producing at a rate it was but with 6 million fewer workers. The same economist was telling me that, you know, during this period, because they couldn't go to the movie theater and because they had all these, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of the, these places were just allowing people to stream these things when they came out, you know, she doesn't have to, you know, put her two kids into the car where, you know, they don't have to get dressed. They don't have to, like, time traffic. They don't have to find parking. They're not buying the $18 popcorn and they're, you know, of course, they're not buying, you know, five movie tickets. That's going to cost like $80. It's you stay at home, you microwave the $3 popcorn, uh, you're in your pajamas. You have, a, you know, you can pro- probably invest. Most people can probably, well, not most people, I don't, I don't know what the number is, but many people, increasing numbers of people can buy gigantic TVs with great sound systems and you just put turn the curtains down and suddenly you have a theater experience or something that's marginally uh, less than your theater experience, but at a fraction of the cost. So this is not, you know, health safety concerns, but, you know, maybe the pandemic has sort of fast forwarded some of these behavioral changes that were probably inevitable. Yeah, I think along those lines, too, this is more of a long term trend, but I, I, I think not to mention Disney endlessly, but the way they talked about their parks business on this call was a clear indication of how they see their ability to use technology and data to make the experience at the parks better, but also to use it to segment the experience based on how much people are willing to pay, if we're being honest. And I I think you'll see that trend become more common as data truly becomes something that companies can use in an effective way. Another prominent example is uh, Vail, the the skiing and snowboarding, you know, the mountain operator. They they think about it very similarly, and I think that's a trend that, as we continue down this path of digitization and everybody having phones in their pocket, you're you're going to see more and more of that unfold. Other than what you've covered so far, are there any other like thoughts maybe you've had or key things that may have surprised you from the Q2 results? And maybe I'll start with some. I think one of the most surprising things continues to be the expansion of, of profit margins. I think from the perspective of like all the cost cutting that happened last year and, you know, the, you know, pe- being able to pass on higher costs through price increases and, and stuff like that, you know, I think everyone sort of expects that to a certain degree, but to have so many companies beat expectations by such a wide margin. And I, I understand that 
that's also a function of you know the analyst's ability to to forecast this stuff. Um, but the degree to which these companies were able to beat expectations while stock while the market while the stock market was at an all time high, right? This was one of those conversations that everyone was having going into earnings season that all those expectations were already priced in because we were at a record high before the earnings season even started. It blew away all those expectations and everyone's raising guidance for forward earnings now. So I think from that perspective, you know, the stock market and the companies underlying the market have done a, a pretty incredible job of beating everybody's elevated expectations. I would tag onto those same comments, but I'd narrow it down to a single group, which I would just say is big tech or fang. And, you know, I, I think about Microsoft, they, they reported Q4, FY21, they have a weird calendar, but their FY21 revenues were up 18%. It was their best result in more than a decade. You know, as I tweeted the other day, Facebook's revenues in 21 will probably be about $60 billion higher than they were three years ago. The, the incremental revenues in three years for this business are higher than Unilever's annual revenues, their total revenues. You know, Amazon during the pandemic added more than $100 billion of incremental revenues in a year. And my sense from the Google results, I haven't dug in, but my sense was that, you know, on a two-year stack basis where you try to, you know, X out the impact of COVID and get a clean comp, Facebook was up 70% year over year. My sense from what others were saying was that Google was even stronger. So it's just amazing how how big and dominant these businesses already were. And I know the, the, the Fang name has been going around for a long time, but the sustainability of these outsized, massively outsized results is it's kind of mind blowing. Yeah, it is always surprising how money can seem to come out of areas that you don't expect to happen. Like the numbers don't always end up adding up with respect to like that TAM. I think, again, going back to that post-World War II environment, something that always stuck out to me is that American GDP was like $100 billion a year before World War II, shot up to $300 billion a year, all based on spending and borrowing from the U.S. government over that time. And so the analysts at the time would say, okay, now that we're done with World War II, there's not going to be borrowing. GDP is obviously going to go back down to $100 billion a year. And just like through a confluence of inflation and also that greater real industrial capacity, nominal GDP, I don't think, I mean, it felt like 10% or something like that, but we were well at like this new level. And that was just an example that always stood out to me of you can do all the numbers as they are today, but then somehow new numbers come in, new spending comes in. And I think that's the same dynamic that's going on here when we're looking at 20% comps, 25% comps for companies. It's just the old numbers don't really are not sensible anymore. They don't make any sense. Yeah, so if I were to add something maybe that surprised me myself, it's something in the industrial section from the auto companies. I think something that Elon Musk said that electric vehicles, especially, are an inflection point and that it has become consensus now that electric vehicles are the only way forward. You see this in a lot of the earnings calls, like the, the companies themselves shifting a lot to EV. And if they're not there, uh, they are on their way there. When something becomes that consensus, it sometimes also it's a little, uh, it's a point at which you need to ask yourself the question whether it's really true that that's the way it's going to be. But then again, we also see a lot of comments from companies that also say that uh, there's a lot of runway to go before uh, the, the uh, all autos maybe shift towards uh, being 
EV based and see, until then oil is still going to be the main source of energy. Scott, you picked up on that yourself. Yeah, that and actually one of my favorite catalysts of the quarter that I saw was in the Google quarter talking about uh, commercializing the Waymo business in Phoenix, which I haven't really seen anywhere else anybody talking about that. But that seems like a really big deal to me. This is crazy. This is a huge catalyst. This is self-driving cars being uh, commercialized. I saw a, a, a TikTok from from the Olympics showing uh, people in a car. I guess they pulled over to to help you know someone in, who needed medical attention, and then the self-driving car actually left without them. But I, I can't confirm if it was true. And listen, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or whatever. But I, I, I think I think a lot of us would love to see a lot more, you know, tests before you know jumping in. But yeah, it, it's definitely made a lot of progress. Everything you see in terms of of, of self driving cars and AI and and all the machine learning technology and all that stuff behind it, you know, has made you know tremendous amounts of progress. There's no question about that on the automobile and the AI conversation, the electric vehicle comments to me this quarter felt like in 2010, the way we used to talk about digital distribution of movies, that it was like in five years, it'll be here and everybody will be doing it. And lo and behold, I mean, it's 10 years later, but we have digital, full digital distribution of movies that we didn't have when we were mailing away for DVDs. And it feels like 10 years from now, we'll look forward and look back and all of us will be driving electrical ve- electric vehicles. No more gasoline really on the road to speak of. An interesting one from Disney today, as a lot of these companies are getting into new businesses, just a general comment, you know, speaking about their D to C opportunity, they essentially said, we don't really know what the seasonality is like in this business. So as for guiding quarters, maybe that's not a great idea until we get our arms around it. It's just, for me, it was just a funny comment in terms of, you know, we all obviously live quarter to quarter because that's just how time goes. But as you're, as you're focused on the long term, you're going to see a lot of bumps along the way as as we move into what feels like a new world as you move into new business models. And, you know, I, I just think it's interesting. I guess then that's in terms of thoughts for Q2. So what are you paying attention to as we move into Q3 then? For anyone who followed the consumer sentiment report this morning, you know, a historic drop in consumer sentiment based off of responses to this University of Michigan sentiment survey. Obviously, this is soft data. You know, people say whatever they want and they'll go do the exact opposite in real life. But to what degree is our concerns about COVID and, you know, economic prospects and, you know, future infl- inflation and all this stuff actually affecting consumer behavior. You know, we might, this might not even be a thing that we need to wait for Q3 earnings season. We have retailers who are going to start, you know, announcing earnings in the next couple of weeks. But the degree to which, you know, concerns about things like, you know, inflation and, and you know, the Delta variant is actually translating into a slowdown in economic activity. Yeah, I think to echo Sam, watching really closely for the impact of the Delta variant going forward here. And that'll start to show in the next couple of weeks, probably. And then also comps getting tougher in the back half of the year and the the back to school period, the end of summer, people 
going back to a more normal normalized life potentially yeah i would say pretty pretty similar as well i'm curious to see if you know where i live we, we're back to masks mandated everywhere and it's not a if you're vaccinated or not kind of thing it's just everybody wear masks and you know we'll see what the response is by people if, if this becomes a very serious issue or an even more serious issue than it already is you know i'm curious to see how people's ability to spend can manage to stay near the levels that it's at currently i guess we'll see with retailers in this coming quarter q2 you know the quarter that they're about to report i would assume it's still be pretty good based on the stuff we've already seen I'd be curious if we see any changes in terms of guidance, how they look to the back half of the year. I think we'll also be paying attention to supply chains. Uh, I think Scott and I are very keen on reading, especially the industrials, and trying to look for any signs that there will be changes in the supply chains, maybe a balancing out of demand and supply. So I think that's a one thing that we're paying very keen attention to. Something else, of course, uh, a key statistic that's noted from Q2 from Bank of America was that 65% of the money that was flowing to client accounts from the unemployment benefits were actually being saved and only 30% was being spent. So that's a substantial amount. So you'd want to see also how those trends are going, going into Q3 and maybe some of the states in the US also stop the unemployment benefits and how that impacts spending. So I think apart from most of the Delta variant, of course, you also want to keep track of the booster vaccines that have also been approved this week, how that's going to impact. And as well as the retailers report, before we close up, one thing I wanted to ask um, all of us, since we spent a lot of time on earnings transcripts, so maybe what's why you read earnings calls transcripts and why you spend a lot of time with them and what you gained from them? Yeah, I probably were, was reading a lot more transcripts before I started subscribing to your newsletter, which, by the way, is great. So everyone should make sure to subscribe to the transcript. And I'm, I'm not collecting any fees or anything from that. It's, it's just great. So if you haven't, make sure you sign up for that. But yeah, yeah what, I, what I like is, is you, know, you know, sure it's all being taped and, you know, they have their handlers all around them, but, you know, this is when executives will go off script and, you know, it's not like no, no one wants to like, you know, see people stumble over their words and accidentally say something that that's inaccurate or whatever, but you get a lot of information and a lot of color that you do not get in a press release or an AK or something that, is you know that has to go through legal compliance departments and stuff like that you know getting color on stuff like you know what happened in the first you know three weeks of of q3 like this is stuff that you know you don't get any kind of response or 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 or, or companies don't often actively you know give that kind of color on in an 8k or an earnings release so yeah, it's you know hearing hearing executives answer questions that they would have rather avoided is I, I think is is really the big benefit of of going through these transcripts and listening to these earnings calls. Yeah, for me, it's you know every everything I do in terms of being an investor is trying to find companies and management teams that I want to partner with in the long term. So a huge part of conference calls for me is is getting a better feel for the people that I'm entrusted with my capital, particularly when things are not going well. And obviously anybody will make mistakes, but I, but I want a clear sense that they're focused on the things I care about, which is the long-term economics and competitive position of the business. And I also want to be sure that when those tough times come along, they're being 
honest with me and transparent with me on the things that I need to know. So that's, that's the primary reason that I listen to conference calls. Yeah, I echo everything that Sam and Alex just said in terms of the breadth of information you can get from earnings calls and also the depth of being able to really get to know the way that management teams are thinking about their companies, especially when you follow them over the length of time that we've been doing. You know, there's some, some CEOs that we've been listening to for a decade already talk about the way that they're thinking about their companies and you get to watch their strategies evolve, evolve in the way that they react and their track record, really get a sense for their track record. I think one thing to add as well is that there's elements of investing that are really about information arbitrage. And I think the interesting thing about conference calls is that every company is trying to tell their story, but not everybody is listening to the full story. And so when you really dig into the conference calls, there's lots of times that there's information in there that the market is not fully appreciating. And there are catalysts to be found that we publish in our newsletter all the time. I think the Waymo commercialization in Phoenix is a, is a great one. That is a, a major economic dislocation, potentially, that it doesn't sound like many people are are paying attention to. So those are the reasons that I listen to conference calls. Mokai, what about you? I think I recall your sentiment. I think there's a lot of wealth of information. I think I read it mostly because it gives me a better glimpse of how the economy is doing, uh, because sometimes, as, as Sam said, like the the CEOs and the management teams go off scripts a little bit and they they, they, they tell you, look, uh, this is what is ha- really happening on the ground. Or sometimes maybe the question was very irritating and they use maybe practical examples from the field to actually show you what exactly is happening. So I like those kind of calls uh, where the management actually have a really nice grip on uh, what's happening. And they're actually hands-on and they can give you some statistics, some stories, actually show the impact of the products or the customers and how they're feeling. Maybe they talked to people on the ground, and that's something that they can't really hide. As we close, I wanted to say that at the spaces today, we brought in partnership with Coifin. Coifin also helps us also to get uh, access to some of the transcripts. We also get good data from them. Also, we partnered with Quota, which it's an app uh, that you can use on, uh, you can find on Android and, uh, and iOS, uh, where you can also listen to earnings calls. They've really revolutionized that. So I think that's been good partners that we've had across uh, on the transcript also along the way. So I would say closing once and then maybe we can start with uh, Alex and then Sam and then Scott and then we can finally wind up. You can also tell tell people where they can find you. Yeah, I think as you've heard here, the first half of the year or the first half of 2021 has generally been very strong, both relative to the first half of 2020, obviously, but for most companies that I look at, also relative to the first half of 2019. So it's 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 nice to be in an economic environment that feels a lot different than where we were at, you know, 18 months ago. And hopefully companies continue to, to do things to keep moving forward and investing for the future. So you can find me on, obviously on Twitter, as you know, if you go to my uh, homepage, I guess you'd call it, you can find my Substack. you can sign up for there's a free version where you'll see previews of the things that I write or a paid version if you want complete access to everything that I do. So I appreciate you guys having me on and hope to do it again in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's it, it seems like there's a, a lot of things to be optimistic about. Of course, there's a lot of things to be uncertain about. But, you know, uncertainty is just the name of the game when it comes to, you know, investing in stocks and all that, that, that kind of stuff. There will always be a 
a a number one topic of of uncertainty and and you know in future twitter spaces we'll be probably talking about something else at some point or another but yeah it, it's it's really it's really encouraging to see you know not just you know revenue and earnings for these big companies coming back but but seeing stuff like gdp and household spending and a lot of these other metrics return to pre-pandemic levels and this is all occurring as you know there are still 10 million job openings out there and supplier times are suggesting that there are still supply constraints which means that there's still a lot of demand in the pipeline you know again there's still 2 trillion dollars in excess savings for consumers so there's a lot of things that still need to get you know processed through the economy and all the companies that are involved in it so lots of interesting things to watch as as the economy continues to unfold but yeah, follow me at Sam Rowe on my profile page. You can also see links to how to sign up for the Axios Markets newsletter. And you can also, you know, you click on any of those links and you'll also find my email address. So don't hesitate to email me any questions or anything or if, if you want to follow up on something or if you need me to look into something and write about it in future newsletters. Yeah, I think echoing things that have already been said, this has really been a great time for society, I think for people to be vaccinated and have this release of energy from a pretty dim period during the depths of the pandemic. And so we're not totally out of the woods yet. Obviously, Sam mentioned there's still a lot of unemployed and we have the Delta variant and stuff. But I think hopefully this has been a really positive summer for everybody. And, you know, times like this happen infrequently in, in, in society's life or a person's lifespan. So I hope everybody was able to enjoy it. Beyond that, just want to say thank you, especially to Alex and Sam for joining us today. Really nice to have you guys here. And hopefully people will sign up to your guys' newsletters as well. And then Koifin and Quarter, who were also sponsors today. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we'll do this maybe again every every quarter or every so often. And so keep keep an eye on our timelines. And also subscribe to our newsletter, the transcript of stabstack.com. And also listen to our podcasts and you can also get our email there. Uh, you can just drop us an email. Thank you, Quota, for helping us and also Koifin. Thank you and see you next time.